Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Also, check out the Athletic Baseball Show, your new favorite source for great baseball talk all week long. And every Tuesday, that talk comes from us two knuckleheads. I am Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville. And Doug, I'm talking to you now from a place I never aspired to do a podcast. <laughs> it's it's a parking lot next to the airport in Denver. Like, really? Uh, you know, we should maybe should add to the list of your titles as what pilot, maybe? We could do pilot. Um, you know, I have a, I have a very robust list. I, you can throw that in there. <laughs> right. Well, just because I'm at an airport, does that make me a pilot? I didn't know that's how it worked. Well, you're piloting the show, so we'll, we'll give you the official wings. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. We'll go with that. Uh, all right. The real explanation is it's a really busy time. Uh, even though, you, you know, you might hear that word all-star break, but uh, with our schedules, Doug and I are having a hard time matching up so i just landed in denver for the all-star game i pulled my microphone and laptop out of my bag i set up shop here on a slab of concrete in the parking lot and we're just going to try to make podcast magic but you know if we get interrupted by like a security guard <laughs> wanting to know what the heck i'm doing you'll understand that right? I will, I will fully give you a 
a hall pass and I will bail you out if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear. Okay, I, you're my character witness. And I, you know, I know that you have visited many, many airports in your day. What would you say is the most memorable random thing that you ever found yourself doing in any airport? <laughs> well, interesting thing I just thought of is that we um, rarely went through the airport. That, that's the thing. We, we didn't, we were kind of spoiled like that. We would go, um, yeah. and before the events of, and the horrors of 9-11, we used to go drive up straight to the plane and just board. Uh, then we eventually had to go through a, like a hangar to go through our own kind of private security. Now, yeah, I'm sure it's a little weird if the Yankees were walking through, you know, Grand Cent, you know, like not Grand Central, but like JFK or LaGuardia. So I do get the security issue, but uh, most of the time, yeah, we kind of skirted all the what is TSA pre-check or TSA right uh, today. So that is one point. Yeah. So yeah, one one big memorable moment I think of is actually in AAA. There was a game we were playing in Indianapolis and we were connecting through St. Louis as we often did to go back to Des Moines, Iowa. And the weather was horrific. I mean, really bad. And to the point where one of my teammates was sitting next to this, to this woman that said she will give him her BMW if they land safely because the flight was that bad. Uh, we were knuckling. The lights went off at one point. I mean, it was just bananas. And we did land. And by then it was almost one o'clock in the morning. And we, our flight was, you know, of course we missed whatever flight to Des Moines. So they told us we're not going to make it and we don't have time to go to the hotel. So we're just going to wait at this gate where our flight will take off in the morning at like eight o'clock. But until then, you know, grab your bags and have fun sleeping on the floor. So it's like, okay, so the whole AAA roster of the Iowa Cubs is sleeping in the airport. And we start laying down, we're trying to talk and we're playing cards. And I start reading a book and I look and I realize that a lot of members of the U.S. Women's World Cup team, soccer team, was also sleeping <laughs> at the tur at the uh, gate. So I'm like, this is weird, <laughs> right? So you have a AAA Cubs and you have the Women's World Cup soccer team, or at least many members of it, also sleeping. So we end up kind of creating like a campfire. And I break out a book I'm reading, and and Tiffany Mulbred, who is this amazing scorer, is, happens to be reading the same book. So I realized we're in the company of Brandy Chastain and Lori Fair and all these incredible athletes and who would become these world stars because of their, their Gold Cup performance. So uh, to this day, I am still friends with a lot of the group. Uh, Lori Farrer, just talked to her a couple of weeks ago, Tiffany Mulbrand here and there, and Brandy Chastain. So that is a, a very memorable one and a friendship that endures, even though it happened because we had to sleep on the floor of the St. Louis airport. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> now see, like this is just a vintage Doug Glanville moment in time. He, he's sleeping on the floor of the airport and he winds up in a lifelong friendship with Brandy Chastain <laughs> and the U.S. women's soccer team. Like, that does not happen to other humans. Just you. Just, just a Doug Glanville thing. I can't top that. Like, I, you know, I've written columns from baggage claim. Uh, I remember that. Remember two years ago, I had that adventure traveling to the All-Star Game in Cleveland. Oh, I went to three different airports and never flew out of any of them. Okay. <laughs> like, I've got stuff like that, but I cannot top your story um you know we've we've had some crazy adventures on the road to starkville but 
This one's right up there, man. It is just right up there. Okay, enough of our problems. Uh, before we bring in our friend J.J. Cooper of Baseball America to talk draft and futures game, I, I think this is a great time to talk first half awards. Uh, and especially the MVPs, because I find them the most interesting. Just wrote a big column on the awards in the athletic last week. Didn't just have the standard stuff. Also has the LVPs, least valuable players, and the Cy Yucks, in addition to the Cy Youngs. But we're just going to talk about the MVPs because I, I don't see us having a good way to debate whether Jacob DeGrom should win the NL half Cy Young. Right, right. All right? That's uh, pretty much handed <laughs> to him now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let, let me ask you this then, Doug. Should Jacob DeGrom be the National League MVP? Or maybe a better question for you, former position player that you are, is should any pitcher ever win an MVP award? Wow, that's a, that's a good one. Well, uh, in my track record has had a lot of moments where I've spoken pretty strongly about preferring position players over pitchers just as a, as a baseline. Uh, I don't think it should be banned from being MVP because there are always – amazing exceptions as we see someone like Otani show up you kind of have to rethink things but uh, I, I lean towards the players that are out there every every day every single day and and contributing in in that manner not that everybody knows you know pitching wins but you obviously need a cavalcade of pitchers and more it, it's kind of what's also weak in the the pitching stance is that the specialization in the bullpen has only gotten more serious and therefore pitchers are less relied upon to even complete a game. So I think that that also chips away at a starter value, in my opinion. So uh, so that that's, you know, the evolution has made it a little bit harder for making the case that, that I've always made kind of against why pitchers should, should uh, go ahead of position players. So that that's kind of where I am on that. I think DeGrom should be considered, sure. But I think position players should have a leg up on, on pitchers. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let me say this. That's how I lean to. Uh, everything's equal. I would virtually always go with a position player. And look, there's a hell of a case for Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. to some extent. Fernando Tatis, though, man, he leads the league in home runs and stolen bases and OPS <laughs> at the break. Uh, the only players ever to do that in any full season are Ty Cobb and Chuck <laughs> Klein. So it hasn't been done in almost 90 years. But let me tell you, Doug, about a conversation I had with a general manager while I was mulling over this pick. He said something that really stuck with me. He said, what Tatis is doing is special, but what DeGrom is doing is historic. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't give DeGrom this MVP award, can you justify ever giving it to any pitcher ever? Doug, how would you respond to that point? Well, it's value and history are two different things. And, um, you know, if you talk about, you know, it, you know, making record books or breaking barriers, I think those are kind of different categories. So I think that's what I would say to that. Like, yeah, and DeGrom, I mean, he's, he's missed a little bit of time and he's no question, you know, dominating. And that's why you look at a Pedro Martinez type season and you kind of say, okay, this guy was so much superior, so superior given in the middle of this steroid era and all these other things, right? But um, yeah, I think that's what the distinction I'd make. And, and defining value is definitely can be personal. 
and has a different connotation to everyone. But I think, you know, it's sort of like the question around whether you have to be on a championship team or a winning team and should that be an advantage. But um, more and more, especially when we look at war and metrics like that, you are trying to look at your real sense of what a win is and, and all the time that it's been given to a pitcher, so to speak. Obviously, that they've never been, you know, single-handedly the one to win a game. And so I, I see the directionality of how we measure value, wins, all these things. are they're, they're just going away from pitchers, the specialization, all these things that have made it harder. So, yeah, I tip my cap to DeGrom, and, and maybe at the end of the year he has a one ERA. Yeah, I think he deserves extra special consideration. But just like Otani out there, it's more than the fact that he's so unique in doing what he's doing. It's the fact that he's completely dominating in, in two different ways of the game. So that, that adds a, a unique value. Is he better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Hey, tough decision. <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. We're gonna we'll get to that in a minute here. <laughs> Let's stick to yeah. this because I, I don't like I don't want to leave the the idea of is Jacob Degrom valuable because doesn't that go without saying that a guy with a 108 ERA is pretty freaking valuable? I look at his team. How are they still in first place? They they don't score runs. There are 11 teams in the big leagues that have scored at least a hundred more runs. Then his team, they are doing this with pitching. Yeah, and, and DeGrom has been there for how long? And Mets of many years have had DeGrom and not done anything. So, But this isn't, the, this isn't those years. This is the year he's got the one ERA. Yeah. This is the year he's got a lower ERA than Gibson. This is not those years. This is And this is a year they're in first place. Those other years <laughs> right, don't guess mean anything. What? So this even with a one ERA, guess what? He only pitches once every five days. So, you know, that's great. You could have a zero ERA. You can only win those games that you pitch. <laughs> that's that's my issue. <laughs> so, you know, I think right. he's, he's fantastic. I love it. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe you make another word. Like, keep this in mind. I didn't win my MVP award ever in Teaneck High School. You know, and I can go into a long story, but I, I won't. And we could talk about that another time. But they, one of the years, and I, you know, to this day, Paul and I are friends. They, he gave, they gave the award to Paul Finelli. And Paul, I signed the uh, MVP award that he got my senior year. So we talked about it. And I think the one of the challenges was deciding, like, what is value? And I remember the my manager said to me, look, you know, you've won a lot of awards. You've done really well. I want to give it to someone that's really rebounded and turned everything around to create value in that way. So they gave it to Paul. And I, Paul, like, not mad at him at all, but it felt like it was more of a comeback player of the war, your award. <laughs> but I sounded really selfish trying to fight for why I'm the MVP of this team, right? So it was, a, it was a quandary, right? So, I, you know, historic, you know, Jackie Robinson was historic. You know, there's all these stories, which is why I've said to the Hall of Fame a number of times, you need almost like a another diff, another wing of the Hall talking about those who've changed the world. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm on another tangent here, but yes. All right. So it's, all right. Yeah. So it turned out that this was really not about Jacob DeGrom at all. It was about you. And, you know, I guess all things come around to you, Doug, but <laughs> this, I, I don't think you're quite at the crux <laughs> of the argument, but I, I do sympathize that you didn't win it's, the it's, it's, it's it's award. We'll, we'll devote a whole sh Right. Okay. We'll devote a whole yes. show to that yes. at some point. We, we got to come promise, back. Okay. So all right, all right. you only pitch once yeah, every five you, days. You, so you can be as historic as you want to be, I know. but you're only on that mount once every five so, days. That's, that's all I got to say. I, I'm, I'm okay. well aware. I'm, I'm aware, but.
know, I've been an MVP voter many times. I suspect I'll be one this year again. And uh, in the instructions for the voters, it says specifically pitchers are eligible yeah. for this award. You should not not vote for a pitcher just because they have their own award. Uh, and I do have their own hey, award. I good, take good that too hard. Wait, <laughs> yes, they do. All right, let look. Since you brought up yes. Otani, let's talk about AL MVP. And I, here's what's why this is interesting. Uh, you, you know, there's a guy named Vladimir Guerrero mm-hmm. Jr. who leads the league in two of the Triple Crown categories. That would be average and RBIs, or at least he did when I looked this up in the parking lot. Uh, he's second in homers to some guy you might have heard, heard of, <laughs> Shohei Ohtani. And look, right now, I don't know how you could possibly justify not giving the half MVP to Ohtani because he's orbiting a planet all his own. And that's this all-star game, the derby, it's all reminded us of that. But here's my question. This is, this is a what if. What if at the end of this year, Vladdy passes him in home runs and wins the triple crown? He'd only be the second player in the last half century to do that. So should he win the MVP if he does, or should Otani? Well, it goes back to your, your point about historic, right? And and what is it, Miguel Cabrera, I, I believe is the other one. And, um, and yeah, I mean, Vladimir... If he wins in all these three categories, and of course he's playing every day, and you know he's in terms of value, like obviously he's a very he'd be extremely valuable. So it's kind of hard to deny that. But Otani's the challenge for him is because he's from another planet, and he's put up very similar numbers to Vladimir Guerrero, and he absolutely pitches and might get you know I don't know if he's got Cy Young consideration. That's where it gets tough because he's two people in one. And do you add them together or you treat them separately? I, I No, I'm, you add them together. He's one person. Yeah. He's not no, I know, people. but his, in terms of his value, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah, if he, well. If he, if he was a closer and had 40 saves and did, do, you know, runner up to Vladimir Guerrero offensively, I, I think that should give him something extra. That's my point. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, uh, like his hitting doesn't help him when he – when you're trying to decide if he's the Cy Young, but his pitching definitely helps him because you're trying to decide if he's MVP. So did you answer this question? I can't remember. Well, I think <laughs> I, I think it depends on what Otani does, how close he is to him, and then what he does on the mound. So, yeah, that, that I think Otani could beat a Triple Crown winner. Yes, that's my answer. He could win the MVP even if somebody else wins the Triple Crown. Correct. Doug, yes. you got I, – I, I asked you about two, two of these leagues – you got one of them right. Good job. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, there's like there's historic in a triple crown kind of way. And then there's we have never seen this on our planet. And that's what Otani's is doing. Um, look, I, I, we want to get to Keith, but I, just real quick, I'll run through uh, my other award picks. I'll just, I'll just do the standard awards. Uh, National League Cy Young, you want to take a wild guess? Hmm, let me think. <laughs> Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> hey, okay, you're two out of three now. Yes, uh, AL Cy. I found that to be really difficult. Uh, you know, I went in thinking it would be Lance Lynn, Garrett Cole, yeah. maybe still Tyler Class now, even though he got, even though he got hurt. Uh, possibly Kyle Gibson because his ERA is so low. But when you really look 
get the full picture. It's I, I think it's actually Carlos Rodon of the White Sox. Guys had the biggest velocity uptick of any starting pitcher in the majors, and he has ridden that fastball. It has completely changed him as a pitcher. Um, I, I think he's the choice. If you, I mean, we can keep going unless you want to disagree. Uh, I mean, that's a good one. He has a lower whip than Lynn. I think they're pretty close, uh, neck and neck, and amazingly on the same team. But Rodon has been incredible, and what a difference a year makes. Yeah, ma- amazing. Uh, National League Rookie of the Year, Trevor Rogers of the Marlins has been awesome. American League Rookie of the Year, uh, it, this is not easy. But I, I think it's a guy who actually got designated for assignment this year. Adoles Garcia, the Rangers. He's also set the record for most home runs in a season by a guy named Garcia. All yeah, right. right. <laughs> well, that, that's a <laughs> slam dunk then for me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, my managers of the year, I, I, I picked Alex Cora in the American League, Gabe Kapler in the National League. You know how I could have really ticked people off, Doug? Ooh. Suppose in the American League, I'd gone Alex Cora one and A.J. Hinch two. Ooh because the Tigers have really played well the yeah. last two months. I think those would have been popular choices with the masses. Yeah, I don't know. I think that would fall off. But, don't, you know, Dusty <laughs> Baker in Houston is another. Well, yeah, know, yeah, there's a lot. You know, he's had to, he's lot. Had to deal with some serious stuff, uh, as Cora has also. But, wow, um, what a year. So there's – and, yeah, 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 I think those are those are pretty solid. Uh, National League, uh, you know, Craig Council, pretty solid. Great, what a, great pick. Yeah. Yep. So, I'm, you know, I'm, we don't like we have no idea what a manager of the year is. Yeah, really. <laughs> we, you know how you know how it works most years. Uh, here's how we do it. Uh, sports writers, baseball writers, we make our picks before the season. Then we figure out which team we were the most wrong about. And we give the manager of the year to that guy. It's a good system. Makes us feel better. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Doug, it's time for two things. Uh, the first is I'm no longer in the airport parking lot, so that, <laughs> that part's good. Uh, but the second thing is this is the portion of this show where we get to talk to one of the great draft experts and prospect experts in America, J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. We'll talk to him about the draft, talk to him about the hot prospects who played in that all-star future game. So, J.J., uh, thanks for joining us. You know you're in the presence of a former first-round pick, and it definitely yes. wasn't me. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I could pull up right now our scouting report. I hope we nailed you, Doug. I hope we had it. I hope we had it right, you know, going, you know, but yeah, let's, um, let's ask about that. What, Doug, yeah, what, did very, baseball, did baseball murky have you well scouted? I, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, it, I was 20 years old and I didn't really understand the magnitude of your name being out there in this public domain and where people were kind of writing and judging you without actually talking to you. That was like a foreign <laughs> concept back in 1990, you know. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I remember Peter Gammons. I was a little hurt by Peter Gammons who said that, um, you know, has this, these tools, this talent, but some wonder whether he wants to play. It was something like that. And that was, that was the criticism I got a lot because I chose to go in Ivy League school when I could have played at a bigger program. And, you know, I made choices. For example, I studied for a final instead of playing a, a college game against Temple. And so there was <laughs> this perception of, like, you're not really committed. And, uh, you know, so I had to fight that. And it was a motivator. But uh, I remember the Tiger Scout at one point stopped me in the parking lot and was, you know, kind of regurgitating a lot of these lines about, well, do you want to play? Do you love the game? There's questions about this. And, and I, was, I finally had like kind of lashed out about how my parents, my dad came from Trinidad and Tobago and, wanted, and you know, wanted me to graduate and then I'll commit to baseball in the same way. So I kind of gave him a history lesson of my family. So, so that, that stuff was kind of personal to me. And, uh, but uh, obviously once I played, I started to understand more about it. So, so I definitely remember that pretty well. So I did find it. I just called it up on our site, our, our oh, wow. player card. I have our Doug Lamville scouting report, which, by the way, in 1991, the, um, the, the length of our scouting reports was a little bit smaller than it is now, which always amazes me. <laughs> but imagine. it says, Glanville was named the Cape Cod League's top prospect and pro prospect on survey of scouts. Scouts are quick to praise Glanville for speed, makeup, and all-around athletic ability. So I, I yeah, hope that's that, very you know, that, that's yeah. It was a you know we were we, we liked you. Uh, at least I'm glad to say yeah. that. Like you know, I, again, I still marvel at our reports in 1991. There were like two sentences, and now that's what we write on the player who's number uh, 980. <laughs> on our board. But uh, but you know, it was a simpler time. But and also you know, and then next year you know, Doug was our 93 93rd prospect on our third ever top hundred. So I'm glad we had you you know reasonably well in the draft, and then. We also had yeah. you as a top hundred guy, which you definitely lived up to that. So, uh, uh, cool. All right, en enough about Glanville. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about you, JJ. Did you have a pretty leisurely day Sunday trying oh. to cover the Futures game and the first round of the draft in one relaxing day? <laughs> I am right now writing a, a, a natural buzz that is that yesterday was over. I loved yesterday. <laughs> yesterday is something that was both a dream and a nightmare at the same time, and, and the lead up to it. Got in, you know, had a had an early flight Friday because there was a high school All-American game at Coors Field on Friday. Then we do a prospect pad where all the prospects for the Futures game come in and, you know, they get all kind of gear from Louisville Slugger and others, you know, there on Saturday. And we interview them all, you know, and then Sunday we had Futures game, which begins at BP, started at 9.50 local time here. And as soon as the Futures game's over, jetted across over to the theater <laughs> for the draft and then draft and then we... By the time we got done with that, you know, Carlos Galazzo, our draft, uh, our real, you know, our draft guy, guru, basically we're looking for dinner and finding that Denver apparently shuts down pretty well on uh, Sunday nights after uh, 10 o'clock. And so, yeah, it was an experience. It was like for us, again, we're Baseball America's niche. We, you know, we love prospects, the player development, all that. But to put a futures game and the draft on the same day is really like saying we're going to have a World Series for you guys. 
And then during the seventh inning stretch, we're going to shoehorn in a Super Bowl at the same time. <laughs> and so we literally like, okay, futures game team assemble. You guys do this. Okay, draft team, you guys do this. And then there was just a couple of us who were crazy enough to say, okay, we're going to try to do both. And <laughs> I, I'm glad to say I experienced it. But if they said we're going to separate those two next year, you will hear no complaints from me. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll be the first witness, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the uh, the draft. Uh, that first round, man, was something else. You know, I, I'm a former longtime Baseball America columnist. I've been avidly following your mock drafts. So I think it tells us all that we need to know about how wild that first round was that you and all our other prominent draftologists just saw those mock drafts blow up one pick after another. Mm-hmm. Like, what was that like as your draft board started going haywire right from the top of the draft? So there was a mixture of things I would say that happened yesterday. Like like Henry Davis at one, okay, I don't think we ever mocked Henry Davis at one, but at the same time, like every mock we've done for the last three months has said it's Meyer, it's, you know, Leiter, it's Henry Davis. Like here are the possibilities. So that's one of those where you say, okay, was it a slight surprise? Sure. Okay, but that was within the realm of expectations. Colton Kowser to five. We didn't mock Colton Kowser the Orioles, but we said – Colton Kowser is one of the possibilities. They like to go under slot, spend the money later. Frank Mazzucato comes up at seven. And <laughs> if you can find me one mock draft anywhere <laughs> that linked the Royals to Frank Mazzucato, I would say kudos you know, whoever <laughs> did that because that was not an expected one. Yeah. And from there, like no one would, have, I don't think anyone thought Khalil Watson was going to, who was conceivably, not just conceivably, could have been in the mix at one, really could have been in the mix anywhere, <laughs> two, three, four, five. And here he is. He's still sitting on the board at, you know, at 15 for the Marlins. You had a kind of a, that, a lot of that craziness. You had guys who went in the back of the first round who it's not that, that they were teams like Trey Sweeney to the Yankees. Trey Sweeney, we heard buzz that he could be a late first rounder, but there's also a lot of teams that thought that maybe he's more of a second rounder. But the crazy part of the the, the MLB draft is – when you have this kind of fixed resource of, of how much you can spend overall, and you have the fact that you can't trade picks, it does mean that you get some really kind of weird things where you see players taken. It's like, yeah, that team really does like him, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they actually think that he's the 20th pick or the 25th pick or whatever, <laughs> but they're looking at it as this kind of sliding scale of, we think that this player is the 25th best player but he's gonna, we're going to be able to pay him as the 35th best player, which means in the second round we'll be able to take the 40th best player with the 60th pick and pay him as the 40th best player. <laughs> and it all of a sudden becomes where, yeah. you know, my, my wife's a math teacher. It's like I need her to do the calculus <laughs> of trying to figure out how this all matches up. You know, this sounds like the kind of stuff that never happens to, like, Mel Kuyper. <laughs> but the baseball draft is just different. I know, I know Glanville wants to ask you about a whole slotting mess – uh, later, but we, we should really hit these these picks up top. I mean, you mentioned Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville. I know you like him a lot. Um, just just want to make sure. Do you like him as the number one pick? And how do you like the fit with the Pirates, JJ? No, it, it's a very plausible number one pick. This is not one where I go, I'm stunned or shocked. Henry Davis was one of the best hitters in this class, especially when you say this was the year the complaint about this class was the lack of of catch quality college hitters who both combine tools and track record. 
the track record part, some of it's not their fault. They didn't get to play as much because of COVID last year. But Henry Davis was one of the best hitters in college baseball this year. And oh yeah, by the way, he did it while playing catcher for one of the, you know, for a, a really good staff too. So you have a guy who could very conceivably catch. The only question about his catching is his receiving needs to get a little better. But we also know, and I keep hearing this brought up, we, we don't know when automated ball strikes coming. We just all expect it is coming likely at some point. Yeah. And at that point, the real concern about Henry Davis's catching may just disappear with the, uh, the edict from the uh, commissioner's office at some point. But so if you're getting a bat like his, plate discipline, power, hit for average, if he didn't catch, he's still a very plausible, productive, long-time potential big league starter you throw the catching in and again we know if catchers it that's that's always a, a giant variable because catching is really really hard to do but it, it's a very plausible number one pick and when you say fit with the pirates I, the the struggle i have with the pirates is, is i don't know when their window reopens um it, it sure feels like it's a, it's a ways away and but you're not if you're the pirates i don't think you can play it and say oh well our window's open in three years or our window's open in five or whatever you got the one number one pick you just get talent and henry davis absolutely is talent where it's again if you said the worst i would imagine he would have gone is five in a graph where the difference between one and five is very small so it's a perfectly plausible number one pick right okay so next up the rangers uh, i think everybody had a strong suspicion they were going to take one of the pitchers from Vanderbilt, probably Jack Leiter. Was Jack Leiter the right guy to be the first pitcher picked in the country? Yes. I, I actually think it would have been crazy at the end of the day. It would have been crazy if it had been anyone else. If you watched, we, we I, I am a Kumar Rocker fan, but if you watched Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker this year, who are the two top college pitchers in this class, uh, I think pretty much by acclamation, Leiter was better. It wasn't by a massive amount, but Leiter was better. And not only was Leiter better at the college level, but Leiter was better with attributes that are what pro teams are looking for right now. Jack Leiter has a absolutely, utterly swing and miss top of the zone fastball. And it's not because he has incredibly more vertical movement on it, if we want to get really kind of technical for a second. It's because of the angle that he has that he throws it at. He's shorter, and he throws from a kind of a little bit more of a, of a, of a lower slot than say like a Kumar Rocker or a Ty Madden, who was kind of one of the guys who fell. So when you look at it, when you look at this year, you know, because now we are able to get the stats on what they're, how the pitches play. You look at Kumar Rocker's fastball up in the zone compared to Jack Leiter's, Jack Leiter's played massively better. And that's something, the fastball attributes are absolutely something that teams are looking at right now. And oh yeah, by the way, Jack Leiter also throws, he can get to 97, 98, 99. He's, got an incredible pedigree obviously he has a dad who had a very long successful major league career he's going back to high school you watched jack Leiter in high school and the only questions at that point were he really could spin a breaking ball already it was just how much bigger and stronger is he going to get is he going to be able to maintain velocity well we've seen that he's done that now at vanderbilt again if you're the rangers i think you should be thrilled by this because you got a guy who when i said that henry davis was a plausible number one pick he was Jack Leiter was even, you know, was as plausible. And maybe, and then you throw in the shortstops we're going to talk about too. It was a crazy year, but no, I think that Leiter, you expect him to move pretty quickly through the Rangers system. Uh, you know, the, the Kumar Rocker thing became one of the big 
early dramas. I know, like, Doug Glanville is obsessed with how this one turned out. Doug, your thoughts? <laughs> well, New York Mets. So, so what, you keep hearing these intangibles about, you know, sort of rocker fitting in New York. I mean, what did you see beyond sort of the numbers and the talents that would make him a, a good fit for a large market like New York? So one of the things that absolutely stands out to me with uh, with Rocker is is that you are getting the longest track record. <laughs> he was a he was a key, the basically the key, one of the most important reasons that Vanderbilt won the title a couple of years ago in 2019, and that was as a freshman, and that's coming off of a, a very solid high school career. You you know everyone has seen him. He was a first round pick out of high school if he was you know really ready to go and sign. So he's been plenty of pedigree. He. Also, I think the thing that stands out with Kumar Rocker, and this is the thing that Vanderbilt always talks about, is just how much of a competitor he is. He's the guy who, his velocity fluctuated significantly here. There were times where he had premium velocity. There were times where he was throwing softer than pretty much any college first-round pick in this class. But he took the ball every week, and I think there's something commendable about that. He figured out ways to win when he was sitting 91, 89, 90, 91, which he did in a couple of starts. And the thing that if I'm a Mets fan, I would be most excited about Kumar Rocker is his breaking his breaking balls. He has a slider, especially a slider. And if you look at it, here's the stat that I thought was the fascinating one with him. He threw 828 breaking balls this year. Opponents hit 081, 100, 108 against that breaking, <laughs> those breaking balls. That was 12 singles and six doubles in 828 breaking balls. And it's not like he walked a lot of guys either. I didn't update the walk stats after, but the last time I did this before Super Regionals, I believe he had thrown ball four on a breaking ball four times this year. So he has utter belief in that breaking ball with breaking balls. He now throws a cut or two. I think that he has a changeup that is actually going to get better when he gets to pro ball because he didn't throw it a whole lot. But when you see it, there's times where you see it's like, okay, if he goes to pro ball, they send him to the minors and tell him, one of your jobs is to throw this 15 times a game just till you get a little bit more feel for it, a little bit more of that conviction because we all know that a changeup conviction is a big part of throwing a changeup. Once he does that, I think there's still some room for further improvement here. I, I love the pick at 10. Now, again, his range, I think, really ended up being more kind of that 5 to 10 range, more than 1 to 5. But if you're the Mets at 10, you managed to get a guy who I, I equate it and it's not a perfect one. One's a right-hander, one's a left-hander. But but if you remember back to Carlos Rodon a few years, you know, well, now several years back. But Carlos Rodon was the most dominant pitcher in the country coming coming out of his sophomore year. He had a start against Cuba that summer. Again, what we didn't have last year, but that summer that if he had just taken that and put it in the majors, there were scouts saying, yeah, this probably would have played. And then his his draft year stuff backed up a little bit and you know Carlos Rodon's had inconsistencies had some injury issues and all as a pro and then it's all finally clicked but even before that he was kind of that when it before it all clicked he still was a useful member of a rotation that's kind of that that ceiling floor thing with Kumar Rocker where I feel much more confident that Kumar Rocker is going to be a big league starter than several guys who are going to go ahead of him several guys who are right around him going after him the question is 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 if he can get back to that that guy who has that premium fastball that he's shown at times, then you're talking about that that mid or front of the rotation starter. And if he doesn't, then you're talk, probably talking about that guy who 
eats a lot of innings and is a useful member of your rotation, but doesn't have the star potential that maybe a Jack Leiter does. Yeah, that's a really exciting pick for the Mets. Although a rocker riding the number seven train to the park. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. A whole lot. <laughs> hey, JJ, why don't we try to rip through um, as many of these picks in the first round as we can? So maybe more of a quick yeah, hit. I'll, be, I'll try to be motif. shorter. <laughs> no, there's a lot to talk about. All right, let's start with Marcelo Meyer, the uh, high school shortstop from Chula Vista, who uh, you and a lot of people thought might go first, winds up going fourth to the Red Sox. A good pick for a team that has Xander Bogarts at short? Oh, yeah. Um, for one, you never you, you, you worry about that down the road. Get talent. These things work themselves out. And by the way, there is a chance that, that Meyer ends up being a third baseman. It's kind of like where it's hard not to use a Corey Seager comp with him. And I say that because you have this left-handed hitting shortstop who they had questions coming out of high school about whether he'd be able to stay at the position. In the case of Seager, he was able to. There's a good chance that Meyer will also. But again, you, you've also, I'll go back to the Alex Bregman pick with the Astros. You take him and he can play short, but okay, you've got Carlos Correa. Okay, congratulations. We're just going to slide you over to third. No big deal. And by the way, if Correa goes down, we just slide you back over. So, you know, you, yeah, you love that, you know, to have that kind of versatility. And, and that's one of the things that's great about high school shortstops. Yeah, that'll work. And uh, are you, since you mentioned high school shortstops, you mentioned earlier Khalil Watson. Feels like he was the steal of the draft, went to the Marlins at 16. How did he fall so far? I would feel very confident in saying when all the dust clears, we look at all the bonuses in this class. Khalil Watson is not going to have the 16th largest bonus in the first round. In fact, if you told me <laughs> if I was going to handicap it right now, my guess is it would be one of the top seven or eight bonuses in this class. So here's what happens with guys start to slide. They actually, because of the extra picks, like you look at the teams like the Marlins, you look at the Reds who are picking right behind them at 17. Those teams actually have more money to spend than the teams at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So how does this work? Well, when you're asking around and you're saying, okay, we're interested in Khalil Watson at 10, let's say, or 11 or 12, and you call his advisor and you say, what's the range? What's the price range? Because you want to make sure you're going to be able to sign your first round pick. And the answer you get back is, is the number starts at, you know, whatever, X plus a mil. And you go, oh, we can't afford that moving on. Well, there's a team back there that's already had the same things like, we can pay you that, you know, whatever you're asking <laughs> for. So you'll hear, he's one of the guys I expected he made a point on the broadcast. He said, the Marlins offered me a really good deal. Well, he mentioned it a couple of times. He was putting a sign up that says, I'm not going 16 on talent. I'm going 16 because I'm going to get paid like someone who's not going 16. All right. How about the pick that literally shocked everybody, Frankie Mozzicato to the Royals at number seven. Was that a stroke of genius or just a reach? So I feel like right now we're talking about this and it's like we're at the intermission in a, in a play or a movie where it's like, how's the movie? And it's like, well, could you, could, you know, I'm, I'm watching The Godfather. Could, you, could, I, could I get back to you? It seems so really, you know, I, I, good so far, but let me get back to you at the end of the movie. We've had the first round pick. This pick will be very strange if then the Royals play it straight the rest of the way. If they just take him at seven and pay him as the number seven pick, which I do not expect they will, and then they just take guys on talent the rest of the way, then this is a really puzzling pick. My expectation is, is that this will be that they pay Mozicato, who we had noise that he could be a first round pick. We didn't have him ranked that high, but there was a lot of high, you know, helium on him. A lot of teams that did really like him. But if he gets paid as a late, later first round pick, 
and then they turn around and then in the you know in, in the day two of the draft they end up spending money on higher ceiling guys and paying them above it then it's part of a package and then it makes more sense if it's purely on talent again there were teams that like mozzicato i don't think teams liked him as the seventh best player in the draft as much as they did the royals aren't weren't going to pick again in the second round if they really liked him no trading of picks they can't trade down to an appropriate slot to get frankie mozzicato they have to take him or they have to say goodbye to him because they don't have other options all right you know, he did throw four no-hitters in a row. I, I know it's high school baseball and Glanville's turf in Connecticut. Go Connecticut. Sure Go I've, Connecticut. <laughs> I, like, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever heard of a guy throwing four no-hitters in a row. Is that, is that as four, rare as I think it is? There was, a, there was a pitcher, Patrick Schuster, I think, in Florida, who ended up being the number one pick in the Rule 5 draft a few years after that because this is my all my worlds merging here. But uh, Patrick <laughs> Schuster, I think, had a stretch like that. But that's the only other one I can remember of having like this utter dominance. Now, the one where I, I don't know per se, but I remember Jeff Allison also coming out of the Northeast was our uh, high school pitcher, pitch player of the year. And I think that he gave up something like, I mean, the number of hits he allowed over the season was something I think we had to check with our high school guy like five different times. Like, you're sure this is accurate because <laughs> this number and that innings pitch number do not match in any way. There's something like, and I think he had like a 0, like a 0.18 ERA for the year. <laughs> wow. Uh, all right. Any other picks that you loved? Um, when you say, lo- you know, Again, it, it's it's part of kind of a, a full buffet, but so you, you kind of have to look at it a little bit after the the second day, especially, you know, third day, but especially the second day of the draft as well. But yeah, there are picks that you look at. Again, you mentioned Watson. I think Matt McClain to go 17, he will get paid more than going 17, but the UCS shortstop could have been a top 10 pick. I don't think there's any question that he could have been a top 10 pick. The, the pick I love is Ty Madden, who went 32 overall to the Tigers. I love what the Tigers did. They got Jackson Job with the number three pick, who was considered the consensus, probably best prep arm in the class. And then got another, what I would just describe as a first round pick in the second, in their, with their second pick, the com- competitive balance round pick. The Madden fell. We talked about fastball qualities with Kumar Rocker. Ty Madden's fastball does not play up in the zone. It's a, he is better at, he's a tall, he's six foot three, got, you know, over the top delivery. It's better when he has plane on it, driving it down the zone. And it was very effective this year. He showed that he could carry velocity deep in games. He could carry 96, 97 into late innings, but the fastball doesn't play up in the zone. Well, that's fine. He didn't pitch up in the zone a whole lot because of that. He has a breaking ball that pairs with it. It's got to change up too, but that doesn't fit the qualities teams are looking for right now. But the other, but here's the asterisk of this. There is no enforcement of sticky stuff bands in the amateur baseball there was i cannot (laughs) find a pitcher anywhere anywhere in amateur baseball again think about the the high school lump or the college lump. they're not sitting there going okay wait where is he going on his so i feel confident (laughs) with ty madden because of how his fastball plays i don't think he's a sticky stuff guy now i am going to be fascinated and again i cannot i don't want to cast aspersions on anyone but i have talked to many coaches many scouts and even some players and everyone admits like, no, no, no. sticky stuff is everywhere in amateur (laughs) baseball, just like it is in pro baseball. And until recently, this was not a secret. This is not steroids where it was something where it's like, I'm going to go hide and do this. 
there were situations where here is our shelf of sticky stuff. You figure out which is a gorilla snot for you. Do you prefer, you know, do you prefer gorilla snot or are you a spider tack guy? Do you like sunscreen and rosin? Or by the way, this one pitcher in our team, he's a mad scientist and he's developed his own concoction and we think it's pretty good. And so all of that going on, well, if there's now enforcement, which there is in pro baseball, I am utterly confident that some of these some of these pitchers who are being taken are going to show up in pro ball and all of a sudden we're going to see these guys and it's like wait what happened to their fastball that used to have really life up in the zone and now all of a sudden it's just he throwing bp out there and it's going to be well they've never been checked before and by the way every incentive in the world is if you're going to get drafted off of spin rate and the movement patterns of your fastball i'm not saying these guys are dirty cheats or anything like that. Here's the process of it. You go to a pitching facility anywhere, you go to a training facility, they're going to look at the analytical attributes of your pitches. And they may say your velocity is good, but you're not getting the vertical movement on your fastball to make it a not, you know, a one that'll get above the, the bats. And they, and then you say, great. Okay. Well, what do I do? And they say, well, we can't really increase spin rate by natural means, but we do have this stuff. That's going to be a big, that's something that I am absolutely convinced is going to be a fascinating subplot, not just of this draft, but basically until there starts to be enforcement of foreign substance prohibitions in amateur baseball. Yeah, this was a huge concern of every team heading into this draft, no doubt. And, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the Tigers picks. That, like, that was a perfect example of teams uh, using their slot money uh, options to maximum advantage. I know this is something that Doug Glanville is almost obsessed with. So, Doug, <laughs> why, don't, why don't you ask JJ about the whole slot system? I know you're a big fan of it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I am curious about the slotting or maybe even the evolution of slotting. Maybe you could give some oh, sure. background on it because it's like you kind of think as a fan, like, what? Well, all right, well, why not just pick the best player? Like, what? So, how did this kind of all transpire? Okay. So we go back, I'll, I'll try to keep this brief because we wrote a book, Alan Simpson, who's the, you know, the, the guru yeah. of all this, wrote, a, wrote a, a book that is really like, also is my self-defense weapon in the house because if you <laughs> threw it at someone, it's about 20 pounds, I think. Um, but so if you go back, not even that far, slots were these recommendations. And so how it would work is teams were told, this is how much you should spend on a player in this round, but there was no teeth to it. What would happen is, is that when the Kansas City Royals, for example, or the Boston Red Sox wanted to go well over slot for players all the way through their draft, you would get called into the principal's office, the MLB <laughs> office. And really it was Frank Kundley who then would go on to, you know, like uh, with the Pirates, but, and Frank or, you know, or even Bud Selig would call the owner and say, guys, you know, you shouldn't spend this much money. It's too much money you're spending. But once you had, as long as you sat and listened to the lecture, you then could go out and do it because there was no ramifications. You didn't lose anything if you did so. Well, in 2012, that completely was transformed because in 2012, in the new CBA at that point, they said, here are the slot recommendations. Well, that doesn't mean that if the slot at, at pick one is $7.2 million, that you could only spend $7.2 million on that player. But it did mean that you had this effectively fixed pool of whatever the picks you had for the entirety of your top 10 rounds that is how much money you could spend plus 4.9%. I don't know why they did that, but they did. Plus 4.9%. And if you did that, you're fine. But if you go to 5% over that, all of a sudden we start taking away draft picks. 
And yeah. all of a sudden you start losing first round picks. And what we've seen from 2012 on is no team has ever been willing to do this. No team has ever been willing. On the international market, the Padres had that year a few years ago under the old system that now has been eliminated and they have hard slotting on that, but really, but on the Padres, the old system, like, you know what, we'll just blow it up. We'll spend 35 million on this international class and then we'll pay the $35 million in penalties. And I'm, I'm approximating, I'm not looking, but roughly it was like, we're gonna spend, so we'll spend more on that than anyone ever has spent and we'll reap the benefits and we'll just not be able to sign as many players the next couple of years on the international market. The draft, no one's been willing to say, we'll just have this one draft where we'll spend 30 million and we'll just give away our first round picks for the next couple of years to do so. So what it does mean is you have this, what's going on is essentially, especially in a year like this, this year is a year where there was no consensus number one. This wasn't an Adley Rushman where you can be cute about it and say, oh, we're looking at other players. In the day, Adley Rushman knows that Adley Rushman's the best player in this draft and you would be crazy to not give him roughly what the slot allotment is because if you don't, someone else will. But in this draft where there are players who could go one and could go seven or could go two and could go 10, well, there's a lot of let's make a deal going on where you're calling around and the advisor for the player and the teams are trying to figure out the fits. Like, okay, we may like these two players similarly. And if one's willing to sign with us for 6.5, and one's asking for eight or one signed for us for four and the other's asking for 5.5. Well, we may even like the fuck the guy who wants 5.5 slightly more, but not enough to take him. We're going to take this other guy because down the road, that means we just freed up $1.5 million to spend on second, third, fourth, fifth rounders in this draft. And in this draft coming off of a COVID year, there's more uncertainty. There's less known about especially these college players who didn't have a wood bat summer last year you got to play in the cape you know they didn't get to play in the cape last year there was no usa baseball college national team there wasn't a full 2020 season there's more uncertainty about that so teams are kind of i think in a lot of cases going to essentially spread their bets a little wider this year and say okay we think that there's depth in the even the 11th 12th round that we can do better by spending money there than spending it in the first JJ, let me ask you uh, quickly about the Futures game. I know there were some guys in that game that opened my eyes. Just to give us a couple real quick uh, who really stood out to you, especially in that setting. So quick hits. And you're going to sound weird. I'm going to talk about BP as much as I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Brennan Davis was the star of the game. Two home runs. It's only happened three times in Future Game history. The Cubs outfielder had a great Futures game. BPs as much about what is that for the futures game to me as it is the game because you see the hitters kind of in a situation where everyone's being compared to each other and they know it. Again, not everyone. Chris Bryant famously in the year he was the futures game is like, nope, I'm not hitting home runs in, in the BP. I'll save him for the game because that was how he liked to do his BP. But the Mets had a couple of guys. Francisco Alvarez, their catcher, and Brett Beatty, third baseman. They both looked great in BP. And Alvarez also had a homer in the game. Alvarez showed stupid power for a young catcher in the BP. Um, the other thing that stood out to me is, is the Tigers. We just talked about the Tigers with their draft. Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green. Riley Green was getting to the second deck in right field with swings that could best be described as it looks like he was just getting loose. That his ability to very naturally generate power with not a sellout swing at all. Just like, okay, I'm hitting it. Oh, that went 430 feet. Torkelson also had consistency of power. He kept putting balls, you know, into the left field, uh, over the left field fence. 
And then in the game, the other thing I'll note about, about Torkelson is they played him at third base, which there's always been a question, can he really play third base? He didn't play there much in college. He had a couple of really – he had a ground ball that was a tough play. He made it. And then he had a line shot, I think actually by, by Brett Beatty, uh, speaking of. And he made that play, which was really impressive because you saw that, oh, well, you know, maybe he can play third. And if he can even play third early, if he can – if he could play third early in his MLB career, a la, you know, we think back to Jim Tomei, Miguel Cabrera, some others, that's a useful component uh, of his career because you get value there. And then eventually, okay, as he slows down, eventually he may slide to first. But that was that was eye-opening to me. Yeah, it, not to mention those two guys combined for three hits, which was more than everybody else yes. on the American League team combined. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was notable. I, hey, just a couple pitchers that really caught my eye, Cade Cavalli of the Nationals and uh, Shane Boz, who's also known as the guy the Rays got uh, for Chris Archer, who wasn't named Tyler Glass now, or Austin Meadows. Um, you share that? Yeah, Boz is fascinating to me because when Shane Boz, when they, when the, when the Rays acquired Boz, he was known as having big stuff and also having little understanding of where it was going to go all the time. And now Boz still has big stuff. We saw that again, but the, I thought he may have been the most impressive pitcher there because he had a very playable fastball, 96, 97, 98. And he was located on the black. He got a strikeout where it's like he placed that fastball right where he wanted to, where it's like if you put it there, it's going to be really hard to do anything with that. You look at what he's done in the minor leagues this year. He's a guy who went from having a four, you know, four and a half you know, per nine walk rate or higher very early in his career. Someone who now has single digit walks here at the midway point of the season while still getting all the strikeouts he's getting. Yes, the Rays got another trade chip that's going to turn, looks like it's going to turn out for them and add another, yet another arm who's going to be useful for them, maybe even the second half of the season. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, I think we, uh, Doug, I think we have to let JJ escape Starkville. We're recording this Monday morning and the draft isn't over yet. <laughs> the, <laughs> J, the JJ Cooper Olympiad goes on. <laughs> so, yes, keep going. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, listen, JJ yes. and Baseball America are both must read. Uh, especially this time of year. And uh, JJ, you're the man. Thanks so much for fitting us in such a busy week. No, thank you guys. I appreciate it. This was fun. Thank you guys. Thanks, man. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yes, we're back at the airport parking lot for this portion of the show. <laughs> so just, just ride this roller coaster with us, okay? Everything will be just fine. We promise. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter where we are. Listener trivia goes on and on. It's our way of involving you, our favorite listeners, in this show. And uh, we do our best to literally involve you by picking your trivia question and inviting you to join us on this podcast live to stump us with your questions. We'll tell you how you can do that in just a few minutes. But this week, because of technical airport difficulties <laughs> beyond my control, we've had to handle trivia a little different. We couldn't get all of our schedules to line up so that our trivia contestant could join me in the parking <laughs> lot in Denver. So what we're going to do is we're going to play the trivia via the miracle of voicemail. Uh, he has left a voicemail with the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster. And, you know, at the very least, Doug, this saves us the embarrassment of getting this question wrong while the listener who asked the question can actually be there <laughs> laughing at us. Don't you think this is an actual yeah, advancement? I mean, well, I think it'd be cooler if you actually, we got it wrong while you were at 40,000 feet. I think that would be really interesting. <laughs> I, I believe I would have been tossed <laughs> out, the, out of the plane while it was in mid-flight. But we'll, we'll shoot for that one of these days. Not, get, not me getting tossed out of the plane, but finding a way to do the trivia. Uh, you know, the good news is I, I believe we've actually gotten two of these right in a row. And I can see a couple of things that are impressive about, about that. Uh, one is uh, that we got any of them right in a row. And the other is that only one of the two we got right was a Doug Glanville <laughs> trivia question. So does, does that mean we're on a roll, Doug? I say we're on a roll because it wasn't like, you know, what hospital were you born in or like when's your birthday? It was it was actually knowing the winds above replacement of people drafted in front of me. So <laughs> I didn't think that was like yeah. slam dunk. You know, I thought that was not bad. No. You know, no, that went it went well. It really did. OK, we're going to we're going to say we are <laughs> on a roll and that let that be a warning to our trivia contestant, Eric. Eisenberg, as he listens to this, even though he's not speaking with us, uh, we're going to let Eric deliver this question via voicemail, then we will get it wrong, and that'll do it for the Eric Eisenberg portion of the show. Um, let's get the mayor on here to play the trivia. Hey, Jason and Doug. This is Eric Eisenberg from Chicago, and here's my trivia question. All right? Good luck. Name the only two... Japanese-born baseball players to have earned a win, loss, or save in a Major League Baseball All-Star game. All right. Good luck, guys. Mm. Eric, thank you. We need it. Um, like, on one hand, this is the perfect question for this All-Star game because of the Otani factor. Uh, the trouble is trying to remember which Japanese pitchers made it onto an all-star team and made it into the all-star game at a point when something good or bad could happen. 
Uh, I've, I've been at almost every All-Star game. I have no idea, okay? <laughs> uh, so I'm going to run through this. Uh, I feel like Hideo Nomo is a great guest just because you think back to when he first arrived. He was so dominant. He was the talk of baseball. I feel like he started the game somewhere along the line. Um, and then who else? I don't like I, I don't really, I don't know. I'm going to say this flat out. I have no idea. I, like Koji Uehara comes to mind. You, mm-hmm. you know, he he was, he had those microscopic ERAs for a while in Boston. Uh, Tanaka, Daisuke, Yu uh, Darvish. Remember Shigatoshi Hasagawa? Um, I think he, if I remember right, he appeared in more games than any Japanese-born pitcher ever. But I, as I've, Mentioned now several times. I don't know. So, Doug, you oh. could, why don't you try to rescue me here? Oh, boy. Um, well, those are names. You know, did, did Iwakuma, did he make it with Seattle, That the, the starter? thought he was pretty good one year. He was rookie of the year, right? He might have okay. been. Yeah, and then the... Um, but then, the, but then, did he, then did he win or lose an All-Star game? Yeah, well, well, the, the, you know, wins and losses All-Star games mm-hmm. are always weird, right? It's like, you throw the first inning and... Um, yeah. The right. well, and the closer. I remember Roland faced him in the All Star game. A closer for the Mariners, Sasaki. Yeah. Wasn't he with a split? Oh, yeah, he, with a he, yeah, he had a, you know, a real good run. Yeah, yeah, the splitter kind of. Yeah. Yep. That's another one. Um, yep. Now here's the thing, because it's trivia. I'm just going to throw this out there. The question was Japanese born, and I, I don't like the sound of that. I think there's a little there's yeah. there's some trickery That's- that could be in there. Because, you know, you know what? That's true. Like to someone born in Tokyo and just, you know, so uh, the mayor is speaking. I can I can clarify that <laughs> there is no trickery to it. Thank the God. two answers are are actually Japanese born and you will think of them as Japanese <laughs> okay, born raised pitchers. And, okay, <laughs> sorry, they grew up in Japan. All right. All right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't require trickery <laughs> to stump us with these. Okay. I've noticed that. Yeah, this is tough. All right. Well, I like Nomo. I, I really... Uihara is a really good guess. Um, he's a really good guess. Darvish. Go with that if you want. Oh, I don't know. Man. Suzaki. I think he pitched like middle of the game, though. I don't think he closed it out. Yeah, but it's just it's just somebody wandered in at the wrong time and got blown up or gave yeah. up a run at the wrong You're time. Right. No. Like nobody, nobody. I, like I remember a lot of All Star moments. I literally don't remember who won the game ever. Yeah. Winning pitcher. Don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go. I like Nomo and Uihara. I think those are good guesses. Oh. All right. I, okay. I don't know. All right. So, yes is the optimal word there. Uh, I don't have a clue. You obviously don't have a clue. <laughs> We're just throwing a couple of darts at the dark board. Maybe we'll hit something. Uh, all right. Let's bring in the mayor. Is uh, is there any chance that it's Nomo Mania and Koji? Oh, for two oh, guys. God. But I will. I will say this. In your in your defense on this one, seven Japanese-born pitchers have pitched in the All-Star Game, and you guys named oh, all wow. seven of them. All right. That was pretty impressive. Oh, that's good. Koji Uihara, Masahiro Tanaka, Kaz Sasaki, Takashi Saito. Oh, did you Saito. mention yeah. Saito? Oh, you missed Saito. I'm sorry. Hideo Nomo, Shigatosi, Hawigawa, and Yu Darvish are the seven. Now, as far as the decisions, uh, one of them was actually the last All-Star Game. Masahiro Tanaka got the win in 2019. And the other one, Doug, you mentioned it, Kaz Sasaki, 2001 
at then Safeco Field for the Mariners. He got the save. Nice. He closed okay. it out. I feel good. Wow. So <laughs> two guesses over two. I don't even think your devious cheating scheme would have helped us with this one. But I don't know, Doug. I don't feel that bad about missing this question because they'd have trouble getting this right in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> and like now that now we had that little winning streak. If I'm doing the math right, I think we're four and eleven. All right. For the season, so we're we're back above the Mendoza line at least. Well, remember, and you won eleven games in a playoff race. You're world champions, and we won four. We swept the World Series. That's that's pretty solid. Yeah, but if you lose eleven, you're definitely not <laughs> the champion of anything, and we are not the trivia champions of even Starcraft. <laughs> but whatever, Could we, if you listen regularly, you know whether we get the question right or wrong. We still call on the mayor to rescue this segment by playing a slice of memorable play-by-play that has something or other to do with this question. So, Mayor Tim, what are you going to play for us today? Well, the win's boring because Tanaka didn't. He pitched the second inning, I think, in that game. (laughs) Pitched well, but we're going to go to the save. 2001 in Seattle, the guy pitching for the home team, Sasaki. To the right side. Get that, baby! The American League has won five consecutive All-Star games. Garcia the winner, Park the loser, Sasaki the save, and a big night of baseball for the Seattle Mariners, and more importantly for the fans. I know they didn't Here win six Saint on field. You know why, Doug? The next one was the tie. <laughs> oh. so, so somebody should ask that trivia question. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that, was that would. Those are these are so good, uh, Mr. Mayor. You are an official Starkville treasure. And that's not something anyone has ever said about me or Doug. So thank you, my friend. <laughs> Strange but true. Finally, Doug, before we go, uh, this is the part of every show where we get to laugh about the strangest but truest thing that we saw since our last show. And we did not have to think long for this one. Uh, this happened Thursday in San Diego. I guess I should set the scene. Max Scherzer was on the mound for that Nationals. Uh, a little-known reliever for the Padres named Daniel Camarena. Oh, for his big league career was at the plate. Max had an 8-2 to two lead at the time. And then this happened. Camarena to deep right field. Camarena plays in San Diego. Are you kidding me? The Padres pitcher that just brought up from El Paso. The San Diego kid. Set a grand slam. That's unbelievable. Off Max Scherzer. What a call by Tyler Orsillo. It's the call of the year, isn't it? Oh, my God. That was great. Well, like, did, did that just happen? Wow. Doug, we watch baseball long enough, play it long enough. You begin to get a feel for what's possible and what's impossible. What you just heard, that's impossible. <laughs> Except it happened. Baseball, Doug. Only in baseball, right? Oh, my goodness. I mean, the announcer, it just sums it up because it's it's part, like, excitement and, and, like, sheer shock and almost like you're describing a UFO landing in the deserts of Nevada or something. I mean, I, I you just try to, what did you see? What did you see? I mean, I have no idea what I saw. I mean, I yeah, I just texted you his name a couple of times, like, and how, how yeah. glorious it was, but... I mean, this is why I love pitchers hitting, by the way, in that regard, because it's like, yeah, it, automatically you have the possibility of the impossible happening every, you know, that that's just fun. 
and at the uh, same park where Bartolo went. Yeah, to. you're just like, wow, this this could be interesting, and it makes everybody in the audience, the fans, feel like, you know what, I might actually be able to get a hit off Max Scherzer if all the stars <laughs> align and everything goes right, and I, you know, it's just it just gives you that feeling. And I know, like, I think back to many times, you know, going home to New Jersey in between seasons and people, something about baseball that, that makes it so relatable, partly because a lot of the players aren't necessarily these imposing, you know, seven foot tall centers or 365 pound linemen. We look kind of in, you know, in the mix of just sort of normal size people, right? And and I think the uh, the sense of doing it every day and people who had played Little League and always have the story of like, oh yeah, I was playing and then I just had to stop at 15. I decided to do, everybody feels so close to making it. And although there is in truth, a real gap, there's still this feeling of, you know, having a guy like Daniel Camarena come up and, and do something like this. You kind of, you feel this, you just feel closer to possibility. And I, and that's what's so inspiring of it. As, yeah. as insane as it is, it's like, you just feel like this is possible. And I don't know. I mean, it, it just, I, I, you know, who would have ever predicted that? And, and, and I think Daniel Nava, right. Wasn't his first, was his first at Batter Grand Slam or his Joe, first home Joe run? Blanton. Joe Blanton. Wow. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. That's another yeah. one. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, he turned out to be a pretty good hitter, but nevertheless, uh, I, yeah. let me ask you this question. What would you say was the Nationals win probability after they took that eight to nothing lead? A hundred percent? Nine hundred percent? I mean, it, I, I assume with Scherzer on the mound, I mean, this is in the high 90s. It has to be. I mean, um, and then the pitcher hitting, a reliever hitting. I mean, what are the probabilities of him even making contact? I mean, I don't know what his like. I don't know what his like track record is, like college or. Yeah, you know, I can tell you that the we looked it up that the actual win probability was ninety eight percent when he did this, but that doesn't factor in that it's Max Scherzer. Okay, right. just incredible. Um, he was right. added to the All Star team on top of that, right? Just just since that well, point, I can't. I still can't believe he didn't make it the first time. But mm-hmm. look, I I before I. You'll be, you know, you won't be surprised to learn I did a little research on this, but can, can we hear it one more time? It's so good. Let's hear it again. Camarena to deep right field. Camarena plays it, San Diego. Are you kidding me? The Padres pitcher that is brought up from El Paso, the San Diego kid, set a grand slam. That's unbelievable. Off Max Scherzer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's right. He could not be more right. It's unbelievable. Dude, he sounds like like Will Ferrell or something. Just, just yelling at, the, at just like <laughs> shock, and every every sentence that comes out of your mouth trying to describe it makes you more shocked than what you just said, and you just kind of have to escalate it. Uh, I, I think he deserves a song. I think he deserves. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think he deserves a song. And uh, Camarena just sounds like it'd just be fitting. California kid, right? Uh, I mean, remarkable, but well, yeah, I shock, still I, in shock. I, I, I heard Steve Phillips say on MLB Network Radio that you can't spell Macarena without Camarena. <laughs> that, and that's a song, okay? That is a song. <laughs> I, I, I guarantee you that when I write the oral history of this, whenever that is, <laughs> Don Arcillo and I will talk about that call. All right, here, here's some of the research I, I did, because this, is, this helps put it in perspective. Relief pitchers at the plate this year before that night. 
were 12 for 203 with no extra base hits. <laughs> None, not a one. Uh, Padres relievers this year at the dish before that night were one for 20 with 11 strikeouts and no extra base hits. This, this is the best of all. Pitchers versus Max Scherzer heading into that game. 384 plate appearances. How many homers do you think, Doug? None. <laughs> Not a one. And then he gave up one to that guy, and it was a relief pitcher who never had a hit, and it was a slam. Last slam by any reliever. You may have seen this. Don Robinson. Don. September 12, he 1985. He could he hit. Could and last relief pitcher with a slam for his first career hit was the immortal Bill Duggleby <laughs> on April 21st, 1898. And uh, Bill Duggleby was a Philly. So you only missed playing with him by a century, or you would have yeah. seen that. And he has my name, you know, so I appreciate that. Duggleby. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call you Duggleby Randall. All right. One, one, one last trivia question for you. Who hit more slams in the big leagues? Was it Daniel Camarena or Duggleby Glanville? Oh, I can add some. I know this one, Slam Doug. It is definitely Camarena. Yeah. <laughs> one to zero. No, no, no slams. No slams. Uh, spring training Glanville. only. Yeah, this has come up. No slams for Glanville. Uh, so that makes it even more impossible. Would you say? Yes, absolutely. The a reliever surpassed me within like a week of being called up. Very nice. Yeah, I thought you would say well that. Done. I did. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want you to know before we sign off that we just had a family of four walk by me here in the airport parking lot. And they they gave me a look that suggested they're about to call the CIA. <laughs> okay. So we're going to wrap this show up. <laughs> Uh, that's going to do it for another fun edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday right here in our new home as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Every Monday, Ken Rosenthal's tremendous mailbag. Thursdays, the wit and whimsy of Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Fridays, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. Can't get enough of Keith after you heard him today. You know where to find him. All these shows are great. Please check them out. You know, if you'd like to read our work or any of the incredible writing on our site, there's no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you thought about subscribing, we are still offering a fantastic special. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show where you can subscribe for a mere $3.99 a month. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week, we invite some lucky listener to come on this podcast, join us live, and prove, as so many have, that there is almost no baseball trivia question that we can't get wrong. So to find us and submit your question, you can email it to Starkville at theathletic.com, or you can start looking around for the two of us on Twitter. If you're looking around for Doug Landville, Doug, I think you could help that, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, first you go to uh, what what airport is it? What's the code for Denver, by the way? D E N. Okay. Well, you should add that as just put that bonus in there. Uh, but simple at Doug Glanville, D O U G G L A N V I 
L-L-E, and I'm happy. And I am at Jason S-T, that's at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. And please remember to hashtag those questions, hashtag Starkville QS. So Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to J.J. Cooper for visiting us. Thanks to Eric Eisenberg for the perfect trivia question. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. And Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville.